Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Booze, Booms and Busts, our 17th episode on reviewing beer and at the same time discussing market events. My name is Boai Shoshan and I'm joined again as ever by Sam Volkering. Sam, sweet 17, how have we managed to make it this far? I'm, I, but it's clear, isn't it? It's, in fact, I, I was going to say I'm not sure, but then it is very clear that the only reason we've got this far is is booze. Yeah, <laughs> our, our mutual love of alcohol. Yeah, is- which, to be fair, on a Friday afternoon, um, there's nothing really. I, I, I now thoroughly look forward every week to Friday afternoons, the cracking a couple of tinnies, uh, and just just talking shit about the markets for the next hour so hopefully everyone else is enjoying it as much as we are yeah yeah it's uh it's quite quite it really is a recreational spirit isn't it it doesn't feel like uh like work because uh, we're just uh we're just shooting the breeze we'd probably be doing this anyway if uh, exactly if right if, if we were all in the office uh together as 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 we would be under somewhat normal conditions it, it would be we'd be at the pub We'd be doing this, shooting the breeze, and um, it'd be too noisy to record a podcast. So the upside is, is people can hear us bang on for the next hour instead. Yeah. Now for uh, for our seventeenth, uh, I mean, it is wild at seventeen because we have been doing it for eighteen weeks, as we were just saying before we came on air. Uh, but for our seventeenth, what uh, what have you been looking at uh, on this week actually when it comes to market events? Because uh, it seems to be an awful lot of chatter now. Just it's just relentless about stimulus bills and whether or not if, you know, if the stimulus bill passes, then, you know, and all the money goes out again, then everything will be fine for the, for another 12 weeks. And if it doesn't pass, then uh, we're going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, but I, that's um, what I've kind of looked at, but it, uh, well, there are a few other, few other aspects as well, but in terms of what you've been, you've been checking out, what's, uh, what's tickled your interest? Well, you, you can't, you can't help, but sort of not watch a lot of that stuff. Like you've got to have, I mean, people, People say they don't like Donald Trump, but I think secretly a lot of people do. And they're just not willing to publicly admit the fact that they do. Um, And I kind of like the fact that he held, he literally held his own gun to the head of um, the the Congress or Senate or whatever it is uh, in regards to the stimulus package. He's like, no, not, not happening. Not until after the election. Uh, this is my this is my show, folks, and I'm going to tell you how it's going to be run. And it was just, it was the ultimate power power control, the ultimate control statement. Just like no, this is my uh, this is my presidency. I'm going to say screw you guys. There will be stimulus once I'm elected again, <laughs> not, not before. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, well, one of the one of the narratives that's been promoted for that was that a supply side economist. Uh, got access to Trump uh, before he got COVID and uh, made the argument that no further stimulus was necessary for now. And it was, uh, you know, it's the, the stimulus were, is required later on or, or would be required later on into the recovery. And that's what swung Trump around, uh, which I find a, it's an interesting, it's, a, it's an interesting explanation because uh, often they think of Trump in terms of sort of weighing up different economic theories and, uh, you know, pondering hmm, what's really going to be best for uh, you know, employment or whatever, rather than you know what's mm. gonna what's gonna be good for the stock market and things like that. You know, um, it's, I, it's I don't one know. Of things. I, a, I'm not. I wonder. See, I'm not sure I agree with stimulus at all. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sort of on the Austrian school of economics, so I'm not not a, not a huge uh, <laughs> government stimulus guy. But uh, you no. know, we we have to work within the parameters of uh, you know. 
the existing. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. So this comes back to this keeps coming back to the 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 question as as to whether modern monetary theory works, whether 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 stimulating the economy and and, and printing of money and issuing of bonds and all that sort of business actually works because so far it doesn't seem to have worked and okay what's happened this year is somewhat of a anomaly but it's not an anomaly that we haven't experienced before so in that case it's not really an anomaly at all in fact most governments actually plan for pandemics and the reaction to pandemics it's just that the reaction that they've all put in place this year uh, breaks the mold of how they've treated all pandemics that have come before granted maybe ex- except for the spanish flu which was over 100 years ago so uh times were very very different back then so it's a weird one in terms of i don't i don't think just throwing stimulus after stimulus is going to do anything except to damage uh savers and investors long term and so i think the idea of you know, like now markets bouncing even here in the uk i think what was it um old, old mate rishi was talking about some localized packages and furloughs for the north because they're going to lock down manchester and newcastle and liverpool um and now all of a sudden it's becoming you know regional stimulus but stimulus nonetheless and i just don't think it's going to work i I don't think it's going to make a shit show a difference as to when these 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 stimulus measures or these support mechanisms wind off it's not going to help the businesses are still going to go under people are still going to be laid off what they need to do is to get back to the stimulation of growth, cutting tax, not, not looking to increase tax and encourage business to thrive and people to spend. That's how you get the economy pumping again. So stimulus after stimulus, I think is a stupid idea. I think, uh, well, we do have differences between the UK and the US in the manner of the, the lockdowns themselves. I, when we say, you know, whether or not stimulus works, I mean, it really define, it depends on what you actually depends think. Depends on what your definition says, of is, yeah. right? So if, uh, if, if the, the point of the stimulus is to buy off a certain, say, section of the electorate or, uh, you know, as with any other uh, government fiscal decision, mm. uh, you know, if, you, if, you, if the point is to make certain uh, sections of the electorate uh, feel better towards you or if you're, um, you're just trying to uh, increase development in a certain sector that you think is going to look good on your campaign when you say you know when you know when i was in charge look at all of the you know x y or z they were creating over here you know this is yeah. all because of the kind of thing it depends on what you think of is a, is success ultimately and in the in the states some of the depending on which state because the states are huge yeah different the stands are completely different when in different states hmm. but i mean if we think of the the next stimulus packages mainly a twelve hundred dollar, like that's probably got what we're going to think of it over here. We're just well, see, we haven't it. had that here yet, have we? We haven't no, had the helicopter not. money. No, not quite. Not, 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 not in that obvious sense, at least. I mean, the, the furlough payments and things like that. I mean, that's 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 effectively a form of it, really. Well, yeah. I mean, and then we come into the definition. Of what what really is helicopter money? Because I mean, mm-hmm. I remember speaking to an economist about um, what they kind of viewed as helicopter money. Uh, was something that is more like a, a permanent expansion of the Bank of England's balance sheet. Mm-hmm. So this would be uh, the Bank of England prints an, a certain amount of money. Uh, so of course, uh, you know whatever they buy with it is added to their balance sheet. But they 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 commit to never selling it. So they will never reduce their balance sheet after it. So that mm-hmm. money they've created is permanently out there. Uh, and you know we've not we've not seen that anywhere uh, really. Yeah. I mean, what's going on in Japan 
it's unlikely that they're ever going to shrink their balance sheet. But at the same time, it's never been the Bank of Japan have said uh, from here on outwards, no other governors of the Bank of Japan are going to be able to reduce the balance sheet. Um, and that was the main one of the main arguments that that economist said to me was that uh, any Bank of England gov governor is never going to commit to constraining the ability of no. the next Bank of England governor, which is quite interesting considering what politicians are willing to do for their successes, <laughs> right? They're all about success, you know, making them look bad and yeah, uh, you know, making it that happily sabotage uh, the the opposition yeah. to 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 leave them a shit show so that they wouldn't get elected in the following election, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the uh, there's that whole acronym. What is it? Um, uh, uh, NAP, NAP, next administration's problem. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. just, just in Whitehall, when, you know, they're, when they're, uh, uh, you know, if there's ever an issue that comes up, it's like, ah, NAP, NAP, mate. Um, but anyway, we should probably go on to uh, what beer we're drinking at the moment. Uh, yes, this is Totem Beliefs, Totem uh, with an M, uh, and it is made by Neon Raptor Brewing Company. I have had a couple from Neon Raptor before. They always have very bright labels, uh, as their name would suggest. Uh, though I've not had too many of them. I think it's just been maybe three or four. Yeah, Totem Beliefs, this is a double IPA, 8%. So it is really right on the button for a double IPA, two times four. And it, uh, according to the label, has all the trademarks of a Neon Raptor double IPA, but with a Strata twist. Strata hops are a grapefruit dream within a passion fruit dream. Yeah, find right. this beer, find your spirit animal and mm. spin responsibly. Right. Spin responsibly. Hello. Right, so this is like an Inception <laughs> reference as well. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's a Hey, that's a good point for, for the movie buffs out there. I, yeah. I, I, so the, I, I, I like straight away, literally when I opened this, just as we, uh, just before we started recording, um, I had a whiff of it and I was like, Ooh, that smells nice. And you could smell that grapefruit and passion fruit straight on the nose. Um, and so far it is I'm, it, for an 8%, uh, for an eight percent diaper, <laughs> I, uh, I'm enjoying this. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. There's so on the label. There's a what appears to be a, a mountain, a snowy capped mountain, of some description. And I wonder if that's a particular mountain range that perhaps it's called Totem Mountain or something like that. Maybe. And um, this is a this is made in Nottingham as well. So this is really quite. I'm guessing uh, that mountain's not in Nottingham. <laughs> I've been yeah, to. Nottingham. I know it's, it's not there. <laughs> In fact, yeah, I think the oldest I, I, I saw this. I saw this, and whether or not it's true, because a lot of pubs in London claim to to be this. But I believe the oldest pub in the United Kingdom, possibly the world, is in Nottingham. Ah, right. This is a subject of much debate, mm. uh, from what I understand. Um, yeah, is the one in Nottingham not like the old Jerusalem pub? Yeah, is yeah. I think something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, there's meant to be like. I think, is it the oldest pub in all of like the British Isles is like Northern Ireland or it's, or it's in actually the Republic of Ireland. So, you know, it's just British I, Isles. I don't know. This, this one claims to be, and I saw just an, actually there was an article about it recently. So I saw a pub up somewhere that again, reinforced that claim. Um, I actually thought one of the oldest was in um, London, which I may be mistaken, but I thought the, I think it's called the Ye Olde Cheshire Cheese. I thought that was one of the oldest in oh. the United Kingdom, but I, I could be wrong. That might just be a few hundred years old rather than extra hundreds. <laughs> you know what? If anybody out there knows <laughs> definitively, as in like you, like the, um, was it like that shark they found in Greenland that's something like 600 years old? 
if you've been around that long and you can quantifiably tell us what the oldest pub in the United Kingdom is and possibly the world, um, reach out to us. Let us know. You know, funnily enough, I was actually in a pub called not Ye Old, but simply the Cheshire Cheese earlier this week. Um, I, I, I thought it was a very peculiar pub name, but now that you actually bring this up as perhaps one of the oldest pubs out there, the Cheshire Cheese must be a really popular pub name. Maybe, maybe it's just like a chain of pubs that existed 500 years ago or something. <laughs> the, yeah, fir- the first Weatherspoons. <laughs> Before Weatherspoons. <laughs> they literally paid, they paid their employees in bags of potatoes or something. Oh, it's got to be wheels of cheese, surely. Wow, be, I suppose. Yeah. That would be perfect. I mean, this is the, the, the Cheshire Cheese chain. So this is perfect for the Triple B podcast, right? We've got the Triple Cs over here. This is a triple C rated debt over here from uh, the CCC. Now, actually, I want to get back to the Trump thing because uh, we had a quick discussion off air about the betting markets. And I want to dig into this a little bit because I remember uh, when Mr. Trump and Mrs. Clinton were going head to head in the last election. And uh, I had this guy, the same conversation that we just had off air. um, And I want to have it on air with you. Uh, I had this conversation with my brother because well, we, 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 love a, we love a bet. In fact, the other day he sends me a message. He goes, oh, my, my, my betting account in Australia is rooted at the moment. Um, can you put on a bet for me? And it was like, Giant Thomas to, to win uh, the Giro, Michael Matthews to win the points classification. Um, uh, I think it was Hershey to win the um, Liege Baston Liege race. And I think Mike Tyson to win his um, to win his uh, exhibition match against whatever. I was like, man, whoa, 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 whoa! I can't do all that. And lucky I didn't put it on for him because Giant Thomas uh, crashed out with a fractured hip anyway. So um, we love a bet, and we love we love random weird bets as well, like elections. We love betting on the Australian election. Don't mind the double in the UK elections, and the American election is just like, yeah, give me some of that action. And I believe that Trump is just too good value to, pa- to pass out at the, at the moment. <laughs> yeah, likewise, likewise. I have uh, made quite a substantial bet. I mean, we're talking about just gambling. Uh, we're not talking about you know, investing or speculating in uh, yeah, you know, pure gambling. Yeah. In terms of pure gambling, this is the largest bet I've ever made in my life. Um, and <laughs> I, I think Trump's going to do it, man. I really, I, I really don't think, I don't, there, there are so many. Uh, echoes of 2016 here. There's so much oh, data, so and arguably it's even worse. I mean, I think Clinton, uh, even Clinton, would have been better uh, a better candidate to sell mm. than Joe Biden in his current state. Uh, I really don't think Kamala Harris is a you know a great VP. Horrible uh, running mate. Yeah, well, I, well, I, I don't think so. But you know, these guys are very clever in the DNC. They know what they're doing. Um, it's possible uh, for my. Are they clever though? Because let's be honest, they enabled Clinton to lose to Trump, and I, I don't know whether she lost to Trump or whether he won from her. If you kind of catch yeah. my drift, that's a good way to put it. Good way to put it. But the, you know, the even even the smartest people make mistakes. It's the, it's just the idea that they're making the same mistake again, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're right. The, the hallmarks of 2016 are uncanny. I, I can't believe it, but every every major outlet. Every mainstream outlet is saying that Biden's going to win this. And I was like, no way. This is exactly what happened in 2016. It's just like, I, they, I, they, so again, it's, 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 it's a multitude of factors, I think. One of them, I think, is this idea, like I said before, about a whole bunch of people that actually kind of like Donald Trump 
and think that he's the better candidate. They just don't want to say it in public because they're exactly. afraid that, that, that the, the woke brigade will shut them down as being racist or something. Well, that's just because you prefer a, 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 one of the options over the other doesn't instantly make you a racist or a xenophobe or anything like that. It just means you think that for the betterment of your country, they're going to do a better job than the other bloke or person or, or whoever. So I think there's a lot of that in, in America at the moment as well. Yeah, there was a, a you know a colleague of ours who was telling me an anecdote, not not his, because he, he's not he didn't live in the states, but uh, from someone else. So you know, and it was more really just a, a it's almost more a, a fable. You know, it's more sort of a metaphor. I mean, it may well be true, uh, maybe not, but it was just something I heard from a friend where uh, they they'd gone out to their neighbourhood to see um, how many posters there were, uh, you know, outside saying who they were going to vote for, yeah, and so yeah. they saw two Biden posters. And they saw nothing else. So they're in a in a you know in a small small sort of um, suburb sort of patch where there was like 10, 10 large houses. Yeah. Uh, there were two Biden ones and nothing else. And so the the person concluded that uh, what what they had there were two Biden supporters and eight Trump supporters because Trump supporters would be too afraid to put a Trump poster out, out front. Right. <laughs> that's the, that's the conclusion that they they drew from it. <laughs> Um, and you know there clearly is a very large silent yeah. Um, yeah. cohort of the population, uh, which or may, maybe they're not silent, and it's simply that the media doesn't pay attention to them at the same time. And at the same time, uh, social media, uh, the you know networks themselves, uh, are very keen on preventing that kind of view from being expressed as well, especially now. Mm -hmm. So this is after 2016. This is after all of the uh, you know Facebook and Twitter committed. We can never let this happen again. So you know our exposure to that to what the that silent cohort thinks is really quite limited. Now there are, of course, you know if you go on Twitter and you you follow the right people, you will you will end up in a, in a pro-Trump echo chamber. I'm not saying that <laughs> happen, right? Uh, but just in terms of what the everyman is ex, you know is exposed to, mm. um, I really don't think uh, certainly for us here in the UK, that's for sure. Uh, we get, we hear anything from flyover America and yeah, why yeah. they like Trump. Uh, yeah. I think it is really something that's just uh, East and West Coast uh, yeah. individuals who are, uh, who feel uh, quite, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, well I, won't I won't continue. But, uh, you know, I, really so I, I, get the, I get the feeling in America, it's a bit like it is here in uh, the UK as well, is that the majority of coverage about these things tends to focus in on the main hubs here you know you, you can't deny there is an intense focus on london when it comes to the coverage of anything oh, big um, time. but and likewise in america it's very much focused in on those blue states in on california um i think i think new, new York. york's a very very similar sort of state and because that's where you know that's where these 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 bubbles of of, of uh, DNC sort of exist, but America is so vast and so diverse. And when you start and, and because of the, um, the 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 way that their voting is is structured, it doesn't matter if <laughs> if 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 um, you know Biden or like we saw in twenty sixteen Clinton wins these these massive um, population. Uh, dense states it's it's about all the other ones that that they're not getting at these swing states that that you know the, the republicans just nail and 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 will continue to nail again yeah there's a there's an interesting 
there's an interesting dynamic there. And it comes down to the sort of structure of America as a constitutional republic, which yeah. is what it is. Like, you know, the, the idea of democracy, uh, you know, ultimately, I don't think, Amer I don't view America as a democracy. I, I view it as a constitutional <laughs> republic, right? Uh, yeah, and from my understanding of it, though I could be incorrect, uh, you know, even the word democracy does not actually appear in any of the founding fathers sort of original. Well, a, a pure democracy in this instance would be the, the majority of the votes in total, regardless of where they come from, wins the election. That's how democracy, sh democracy should work. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to, I'm not out there saying what, how, what a democracy should or should not be. Uh, but I, I will. think that's how it should work. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want anything more decentralized. You wouldn't but want how black and white does it need to be? You get a whole bunch of people to vote for something. The more people that vote for something wins as opposed to the less. I mean, it's not friggin' rocket science, right? I mean, I guess there it's uh, when you, when you put it down to those kind of uh, levels, it's more like uh, democracy <laughs> is just being used as a proxy for violence. You know, I've got, I've got the bigger group of people. So, you know, we were, you know, we won't, we won't bother having the fight because we know, uh, you know, I'd win or whatever. But in terms of, uh, you know, the U S uh, you know, those population centers, which are of course, you know, Democrat hubs. Yeah. Uh, th that's where most people in the U S live. I mean, the overwhelming majority of, of areas, I mean, looking at the, at the cities and the, um, and the surrounding, uh, you know, sort of micro economies, you know, all of the suburbs, all of the towns, all of the external infrastructure that just sort of uh, gathers and grows around it. I mean, most of those places are, are Democrat control, controlled areas. And yet there is still this, this huge political power that's exerted from uh, both Congress people and the senators and, of course, the Electoral College from all of those states where people don't, you know, which is far more sparsely populated. Um, and like, I think, uh, of course, you know, everyone wants to pay attention to where all the people are because that's where, you know, so much of the conversation comes from. It's where so much of the action comes from. Uh, and of course, you know, that's where a lot of elite universities are, of course, yeah. uh, and other elite institutions, because that's where most of the action's at. But of course, that, you know, despite all of that, you know, you get all the all these states in the middle fly over America, which still has this huge uh, political influ influence. And it's the voters in those areas that you really need to pay attention to. So, uh, yeah, I it's. It's a strange situation. Um, mm. uh, well, I'm, I don't fault the founding fathers for you know, the way they set the place up. I, th I think a constitutional republic um, is, you know, I think there is merit in that. I'm not going to say that an absolute democracy would be better. You, you know, you get people who are trying to sort of cope with the fact that, that, you know, they still haven't gotten over the fact that Clinton lost in 2016. And they will still moan to you about how Hillary got the popular vote uh, and like the game just that's not the way the states were set up it wasn't set up do you, do you really think the founding fathers never thought about well we'll just see whoever gets the most votes right that was definitely on the table it's the most you, it's, you know, know what would work best thing. I, I think the best form of government would be some sort of humanitarian authoritarian regime where you've got absolute rule and absolute power but with a very very conscious um, 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 tilt of making sure that you don't screw people over. You know, well, that's like a that's like a, a libertarian trope, isn't it? Is that not it the? Is uh, what is it? No, there's a name for it. There's a phrase. It's the uh, benevolent dictator. Yeah, it's like the benevolent. So the libertarian sort of standard approach is. Well, if there were a benevolent dictator, then everything would be fine. But there are no benevolent dictators. <laughs> Need there, there could be. Well, I mean, there are. <laughs> oh, mate. mate, just the fact they used yeah. the word regime there when you were describing what this what this ideal would be. I really I, I'm not so keen on it. I mean, what's to say that we don't know what's best for everyone? 
Yeah, that's probably that's exactly how Hitler started off. So you know, you're, you're flooding into dangerous territory. Oh man, I don't think you need to like you can go a lot, lot um, earlier in history to find to find people say, you know, what, what if, you know, what, what, what if? who's to say I'm not? Who's to say I'm not, not capable of of making these decisions for everybody? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not a. Uh, Fred, I can't really go down that path with you, mate. But, uh, you know, it does make for uh, I'm sure plenty of interesting conversation. You know, though alcohol must be involved. Well, imagine, imagine if China was actually nice to people. It would probably be really much more successful than it is. Oh, mate, I like. <laughs> I I really I'm not going to follow you on this. I don't. I don't. I'm pushing don't into dangerous that. territory. Well, no, it's not a dangerous territory, but it's like, uh, what, what do you even mean by it? Like, where would you? So, the Chinese Communist Party. Um, what if the Chinese Communist Party was actually nice to people? Yeah, like right. what if they? What if they could? Um, what if they went? What if they were never in breach of, um, you know, basically war crimes, in, in, in prison, false imprisonment, um, all those sorts of things that <laughs> that that they may or may not do? Um, well, which they I do do. Don't don't beat around the bush, Sam. Which they do. They I, are guilty. I want. I really want to visit Beijing or Shanghai at some point. <laughs> sorry, Sam. I'm sorry. It's not happening, is it? No. Well, mate, you can do it, but I'm going to tell you not to do it because I, I really wouldn't risk it. <laughs> I might not come back. Oh, dear. No, I, I mean, I'm being a little facetious there. I mean, the, the, to me, um, the best form of government is little to no government at all. Uh, unfortunately, we, we've been conditioned, people have been conditioned for thousands of years uh, in terms of, this idea that that they need an authority figure to to help guide them or to tell you know to tell the world how their 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 community how to be structured to you know whether it be um you know ta like taxes and things like that i mean to be fair no no government in in the world is a good government in my view um and i'm sure that as time flies by and much, much past our lifetimes, that maybe, hopefully, smart people will figure out better ways to organise, uh, organise, or organise wealth in a way that takes the control away from very constricted, very centralised, um, very, uh, very elite power, and 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 somehow manages to give a a better, I guess. I mean, I don't want to start sounding like a socialist, but a better outcome for more people without yeah, having to take, you know, without having to take from other people, but allowing everybody to contribute within a, um, you know, I guess an equitable way. Yeah. I mean, that sounds, I mean, it sounds to me like a bit more like the uh, sort of, sort of techno communist types who are thinking that, you know, technology is going to save us. And it's going to save us by finding a way of organizing society in such a way that everyone will be happy and everyone will have the opportunity to do uh, whatever they want to do with wealth being redistributed around or whatever. Yeah, um, I think the idea of wealth being redistributed, though, is, 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 is wrong to take. Well, it, doesn't, it doesn't even make sense because it implies that wealth is constant, right? So it implies that, uh, you know, if, if the U.S. government, for example, was just arbitrarily stealing money from loads of people's bank accounts depending on their way of life and was then giving it 
to other people. Well, taxation yeah. is a way of stealing from from people. To no, give no, no. Well, let, let me let me continue. Like, imagine if, for example, your behaviour in terms of uh, simply your status, identity, etc., um, and your oh, we'll say, for example, um, you know, with what was it, the displacement matrix, which uh, the US figured out. Uh, which was the uh, drone strike program that they're doing in the Middle East, where uh, the patterns of behavior that you followed would um, would actually dictate whether or not you lived or died. So you didn't actually need to uh, do anything wrong while under the surveillance of a drone, right? You just needed to go to the, the wrong places too many times, and then you would actually be deemed worthy of target uh, to be mm. killed with a hellfire uh, missile, you know, so you you just need to go to the pizza place too many, the wrong pizza place too many times. Right? <laughs> I ordered I ordered the pepperoni special one too many times. Yeah, one too many times, right? Uh, so you know, because of your very behavior, you could simply be uh, blown up, right? You wouldn't actually need to do anything wrong. So if we imagine taking that kind of uh, that idea and then applying it to uh, you know everyone's behavior within uh, the U.S. economy, right, and where you're you just arbitrarily get targeted. Uh, for either having too much money or having too too little money, right? Um, the the idea that a hundred dollars would still buy you a hundred dollars worth of stuff uh, in that in that environment, I think, is ridiculous. So redistribution of wealth implies that wealth is constant, as though mm. that whatever we do to change, our changes won't change how much wealth is ultimately worth, uh, which I don't I don't really agree with, because uh, I don't I, ultimately I don't think it would happen, but. Uh, generally speaking, Sam, I think for, uh, you know, I don't think in future we're going to get, I really don't see that there's going to be, uh, you know, this uh, technology is somehow going to make the government any more moral in its approach. Oh, no. I think you know, we're kind of stuck with it. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think we, at the end of the day, there's far too many people that need to be guided and told what to do. And the problem that I have that I would hope that it, that can be solved. I don't think we'll live in this little to no government world in my lifetime. Uh, but who knows, you know, a thousand years, maybe. Right. Mate, but you nukes can do an awful lot. I know. For, I know right. The levels of government out there. It, it's a, yeah, when, when you've got, when all of a sudden you've got the option to actually just, you know what, say, pack it up. I'm moving to a new planet. Then, you know, well, if, if something goes wrong, that's what I mean. I mean, you get all, there's so much fiction that's written uh, and movies that are made in a, in a post-apocalyptic world uh, where, you know, obviously there isn't, isn't an IRS hunting down, uh, you know, um, you know, Will Smith and I am legend, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, true. <laughs> Who knows? We, we know that this, the, this in a billion years, the sun's going to explode and everyone's cooked anyway. So, you know, that's happening. <laughs> but nonetheless, I think what I believe technology can do is I've got an issue with that. The government has money and doesn't use it effectively or efficiently. And I think that hopefully what technology can do is to provide better ways for them to more adequately and efficiently allocate the funds that they get access to without having to print money and without having to, to go through all this stimulus stuff. I mean, when you're a kid, you're literally taught to save money for a rainy day. Now, as you get older, you realize that with things like inflation and low interest rates, that rainy day money slowly dwindles away to, to nothing. Nonetheless, governments don't, and this, 
this this may be somewhat of a of a controversial idea, but 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 what Trump has tried to do with America, and I remember him talking about this early on in when he got elected and in the lead up to being elected, was about running America like a corporation or running America more like a business. Yeah, yeah, and that's very much an approach he's I believe he's tried to take with it, and I don't think that enough governments understand how to actually run a government as a business because you've got revenues, you've got expenditures. And at the end of the day, they're all laden with debt and basically trading insolvent. So what happened to the rainy day savings when there were good times and there have been good times here in the UK and Australia and all the different countries around the world. Why is there now all of a sudden a need for this incredible stimulus? Why have they not done the necessary deeds? I think Norway is probably one of the exceptions to this rule. Uh, to to protect the wealth of its citizens. Yeah, um, you know, there's that uh, the idea of moral hazard, where uh, if you uh, underpin people's behaviour, so you give them so much of a safety net um, that they never decide, uh, they never choose to do anything, um, you know, anything which is fiscally responsible anymore. So in the market, yeah. you know, the central bank is, uh, you know, is you've got the Fed put there. So therefore, you can take as much risk as you like. And no matter how bad things get, the Fed will always jump in and bail you out to save the day. So as a result, moral hazard has been instilled because the main way that you win is by simply uh, you know, buying the riskiest stuff and making the riskiest trades. And you will always be rewarded for it. Um, and you don't need to be cautious. You don't need to be uh, sort of fiscally responsible, as it were. Uh, you see you know, very similar um, so operations where if... Uh, so, for example, our colleague Nikolai, who likes to give the example of, uh, I think it was a British rule in India where there was a big issue with cobras, you know, a big outbreak of cobras out there. And uh, as a result, they decided to reward anybody who handed in a dead cobra, right? And, uh, and what ended up happening was, of course, the, uh, the, uh, the, the townspeople simply began farming cobras, right? They were, they were creating <laughs> as much risk as possible, ultimately, uh, in order to get paid for it because there was moral hazard had been created yeah. because the government was there. I think it's a very similar dynamic. Simply, you know, we, people apply moral hazard to things like welfare, right? So getting money uh, for free. Uh, you know, if you're on job seekers allowance, for example, or, uh, you know, when I was at school, what was I on? Uh, education maintenance allowance, right? I got, I got money from the Scottish government simply for going to school, um, uh, you know, after the age of, I think it was, what, 15 or 16. Right. Um, and so you can apply this sort of moral hazard argument to, you know, because you're getting money for free, uh, you, know, you don't want to, you don't need to jeopardize that. There's not much you could do to jeopardize it. Uh, you are going to be less responsible, right? Mm. You're not going to want to get a job. You're not going uh, to want to, you're not going to be pushed by the environment. You're not going to be forced to, uh, to go and may, you know, improve yourself and develop yourself uh, when you've got this safety blanket there, right? Uh, but, and that, that's a very, you know, you, you'll find that uh, the argument advanced very often. Uh, and I think the argument has a lot of merit. And I say, you know, I say that as somebody who was, who was taking education maintenance allowance when I was at school. Uh, but I think there's something which people don't, uh, what people don't apply to either is the government is actually uh, a victim of its own moral hazard, right? So the government has uh, a monopoly over the issuance of currency in any developed nation you go to and really any emerging market you go to as well. There's, there's very few places you can go to other than maybe uh, Kenya with M-Pesa and stuff yeah. where 
other currencies are really rivaling it. Other, you know, it's only where places where the currency has been just turned into a shit show, like Argentina, for example, massive crypto economy there. Venezuela, big crypto economy there, where things are so bad that people turn to alternatives uh, and things like barter in order to avoid using the government's money. But if you're in government in this country, for example, right, you have the, the UK government has for an incredibly long time, uh, ever since the Bank of England was founded, had a monopoly of the issuance of currency, right? Yeah. Um, and so having to balance the books is actually not required when you're the only person that has, uh, when you're the only person that has a printing press and you're not relying on foreign creditors. If you're not borrowing from foreigners in a different currency, that doesn't matter so much. And that's the whole, that's the whole premise of M MMT. And because of that, you don't need like so. In your example, you said you know when you when you're a kid, you're turned to you learn you no, know, so you're taught to uh, you know save up for a rainy day. But you're missing the bit when they become an adult and they get a credit card, right? <laughs> so when you get that kid, you get a credit card and realize he doesn't need to save that much, provided that credit card rates are low enough, and you know the the repayments way in the future. Um, you know then they can go and join the government because the government can just provided that they're not in an emerging market and they can borrow in their own currency, the government can do as much as they like with that. You know, they can do all this QE, they can do all of this uh, modern, well, all proto modern, modern monetary theory uh, applications. Uh, when you do have that monopoly over the issuance of currency, that is, that is moral hazard in itself because you don't need to save money, right? You can, you can create it out of thin air and you can take it out of thin air as well through either taxation or through higher interest rates. And I think uh, that's a form of moral hazard that people don't appreciate. The only thing a moral hazard in terms of, you know, in terms of markets when it's, uh, when it's about risk and in terms of, uh, you know, people getting money for free, you know, or, so be it through welfare or be it through people uh, inheriting money, you know, the children of celebrities who never have to work. There's all that moral hazard there. Mm. Uh, but the government itself, it's like it, it's uh, it's a victim of its own moral hazard. There's no, there is no reason for the British government, when it has the the power to issue currency, well, the, and to, well, effectively the power to issue currency, it can borrow it and then it can get the the central bank to buy it. There's no reason to save for a rainy day, right? There, there's just the credit card, but you're also the credit card company. So, um, do you know what? Yeah, that's kind of my thought on it. I I, I get this. I, every time I talk to, uh, whether it be, you know, someone like you or, or Nikolai or, or my brother, I've got a mate as well back home. It's a little WhatsApp group with my brother and a mate. Uh, my brother's a banker. My mate's an economist. I think I've probably mentioned it before. So we have these great WhatsApp exchanges. And every time we start getting digging into this sort of stuff, I keep coming back to this idea that the worst thing ever invented was credit. Uh, or, or debt effectively like what what would the world be like if if there was no such thing as being able to borrow money and pay it off <laughs> I, I feel like things would be simpler you're going pretty far back in history though I yeah mean, I, I i i know i get that i'm going, I'm, I'm i'm literally going back to like you know five thousand years ago yeah cows and chooks and shit right <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. but it may it's a and wives as collateral, if memory serves. Yeah, I mean, you just—it's a—it's a weird quirk of human existence to want more Leverage. than you're capable of affording. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it I mean, gets a lot of people into trouble. Gets governments into trouble. It gets corporations into trouble all the time. 
But I mean, it's also crucial for causing trouble, right? So crucial I mean, for growth, it, though, right? Well, no, but I mean, like it, it gets people into trouble, right? But if you actually want to cause trouble, right, it might fighting a war without credit would be incredible. If you go through how many conflicts, yeah, how many conflicts can you find where there is not ultimately some kind of reliance on credit yeah. in order to keep running it? Because it's the most, it is the most anti-productive exercise out there. So if there wasn't credit, if for some reason nobody invented it and nobody thought of it, when you know, what, what the world would be like would be uh, probably unrecognizable, I would imagine. Well, I, you get the feeling that a, um, we, you know, we'd probably, you know, we'd probably still have, 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 have money, um, I would think, but it, but you wouldn't, I mean, you would, you wouldn't necessarily get, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how it works. I feel like I need to do some sort of PhD in what the world would be like without credit. There you go, mate. Dr. Volkering. There we are. It sounds, uh, yeah, mate, it sounds, yeah, it sounds, sounds impressive. Yeah. I've wondered, do you know what? Have you ever wondered about, have you ever thought about putting the time in to do something like that? Uh, well, getting a PhD. Yeah. I uh, don't really know what the point would be. No, I mean, I think it's just, well, I don't get the, I, I, I wouldn't under, I wouldn't be able to appreciate the, the flex of uh, telling someone you're a doctor, like I'm doctor or whatever. No, I, I probably don't come at it from that angle. My, my angle would probably be about, contributing something to to the to the i guess universal knowledge base you know coming up with a a concept that could you don't need a phd to do that huh you don't need a phd to do that though to contribute to that's true you could just do it anyway and just not get the the kudos for it but but fuck it if i'm gonna put that much work into something i want some kudos as well (laughs) well i mean sam i mean imagine the think of the platform that you have now right i mean if you had just gone to university and then studied for it do you really think as many people would know what your views were than if you if you than as you are now? I don't think so. True, probably not. A, a PhD is somewhat useful. To be fair, I I I uh, every single year that I continue to live, um, I I I, I reinforces my idea that as we continue to move on into the future, that universities become more and more and more irrelevant. And I think this year is going to highlight that even more than before. I mean, the business model of universities has been wildly exposed that they overcharge, underdeliver, and really just suck on the teat of international money uh, all over the world. This is not unique to Australia, the UK, or America. Their business model has been exposed. Their industry has been exposed as a massive bloody waste of time and fraud you can, there's so much access to information out there cheaper that's better um, i think that universities will become irrelevant within a decade i for one uh, am very uh, i'm very happy really to see that the university business model when you remove the actual physical structures has yeah. been revealed to be an incredibly expensive netflix subscription it's I a sham that- yeah, it was quite. It was well, quite remarkable to see how the funding pressures. You know, <laughs> That's where, actually great. <laughs> well, did, you, did you see that? Where you know you had all these universities saying yeah. that you have to show up on campus if you, <laughs> you for you to actually be able to do the course, and you know in Scotland they've just been locked down again. So yeah. you know they forced you to go there, and then uh, <laughs> they forced you to go there, pay all the fees for the housing, and then you can't actually go and see anyone. So you're just using effectively Netflix from your computer. 
and also you have to take food that's from you know nearby so people went for catered places uh, a friend tells me that uh, there's been a lot of problems when it comes to uh, the quality of food that's been uh, that's being sent to these these students because uh, obviously the uh, the supply chain for it and whatever is under a lot of stress you know yeah. different uh, issues with uh, the the, the employees with getting it to people but uh, <laughs> i was told that uh, well if you're vegan the vegan option is uh, a croissant with cheese uh, which doesn't sound the very... worst option but it's not the best either but there's some really out of date stuff that's uh, been <laughs> been sent around for sustenance by the students uh, you know it's, it's funny you said that sam because uh, you, when you when you the way you introduced that there saying you know with every year that passes because uh because I, I i've said to a few people in the past every year that passes for me i i, I become more grateful that i never went to university um it, it really does feel like uh, I kind of dodged a bullet by deciding not to go. Uh, in, yeah, see, I'm probably I'm I'm I'm, pro I'm a bit older than you are, so I I I think I might have been the last where it was relevant. Like I have no doubt that if I didn't go to university, I, I mean maybe I end up in the in the spot I am now. But it helped open a door to get me into the financial advice world in a way because it you know people still gave enough value to having a university degree because you put in the, the time and the work. But I think there's enough people, I think it's a generational thing now. So like as people of my generation start to become the people that hire the people that from the next generations and so forth, that they understand that you can learn and, 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 and absorb the requisite knowledge for particular things without having to go through that process and that structure and i know in in many circles that people still still see that if you can get that knowledge without having to go to university it's actually a better reflection on you as an as an individual as those that have because you've been proactive enough to go and seek that information and get it and build that knowledge that's needed for the work that's required and that in itself indicates that someone is very self-motivated uh, and willing and capable of learning, which are all the things that you would want um, for somebody to work in your business. And, and then with that, when you, when you consider universities and what they actually end up delivering, it's like you say, it's, it's like an expensive Netflix subscription or just a, a nightclub with a very high cover charge. Um, and I, I, I just, like, I think about my son and, you know, in 18 years time when he's, you know, at that point, I don't think, I don't think universities will be a thing. I mean, there's so many different ways. I remember, you know, Google now, Google offer courses, some for free. They may have some paid ones. I'm not sure to, to, to learn about business and building your own businesses and, and being entrepreneurial and starting something or creating something. Um, you know, they're not alone. There's a whole bunch of, uh, online universe or online universities, I say sort of inverted commas, but online um, education and knowledge resources to, to guide you through courses, to learn about whatever the hell you want. Some, some are paid, you know, they're these, I think that not only have universities, the traditional sense been exposed, but I think that there's now a window of opportunity for a whole bunch of um, other options whether it be you know online again i i don't like the term universities but online course and education providers i think there's a really big investment opportunity in that as well because what universities do they have dominated this educate this sort of postgraduate post high school education system for so long and now that they're 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 
um, their sham has been exposed, uh, that creates an opportunity for others to step into. And I think that there's, you know, I know there are a number of investment cases which are flying because of that, that opportunity that particularly this year has been, has been sort of brought into the open. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think this, uh, it feels to me for certain uh, university courses and for certain universities that uh, the sort of what you actually get from going to university, you know, it's like you, they've dehydrated, you know, the, the course, they've dehydrated <laughs> the degree, you just see what's actually there. I think that is going to change a lot of people's views on yeah. what university is, certainly for the students that, are, that go and then see what it is. And I do agree that I think there's a, again, you get the, a big difference in how people view education and how tech companies especially are, are starting to see education as something as different from, uh, you know, the way it used to be. You know, university degree doesn't mean so much if what you end up with is a position uh, at a company where you have, you know, the potential to make an awful lot of money. So I think Google uh, was interested in creating their own education courses uh, where you would effectively just be, you'd be good at uh, a certain part of, uh, uh, you know, a certain, you'd be at a certain tech level. So you'd be learning, you'd be fluent in a certain amount of code, uh, but you'd also be a perfect employee for Google. So that would also give you an opportunity within Google. So even if you were, you could just take it away and just use whatever you'd learned with coding, but you'd also be able, uh, you'd also be a prime you know, candidate for Google. The exceptions, I think, to this uh, are things like, it's something I can't, uh, figure out in my head. I don't see how being, say, a vet or a doctor, or yep. even, for example, a mechanical engineer. You know, not a mechanical engineer. It's hard for me to see how that can get disrupted uh, in the same way that other degrees can. Uh, being a, especially in a, in a country like UK, where it's a nationalised health service. Right. Well, um, I, sorry, I, I don't want to get off there, but I think it's quite straightforward in that sense. Is that you get private education providers. No, which, I get that. Which, which universities are, I guess, in, in that sense, but, but they're like, you know, instead of there being the university that offers everything, you just end up with very localized education. So you end up with, you know, vet, veterinarian school where, okay, maybe you need to do a placement at, at, at either a vet or a farm or something. But at the same time, when you think about the technology about remote, uh, remote learning, uh, virtual reality. And, and I know already that, that um, mechanical engineers, uh, aeronautics and aerospace uh, engineers, uh, even surgeons are now utilizing virtual reality to actually train um, and, and, and go through some of those more practical style um, things that, that you're talking about that I agree that you can't necessarily teach online, but actually maybe that you can. Well, it, it, no, I'm not. I'm not even faulting the idea that it could be taught. Uh, an awful lot of it could be taught remotely. Uh, you know, and I don't know anything about subjects, so I, I couldn't really. Ultimately, I can't really comment on that. So, but I'm I'm very confident that the private sector could provide that without requiring the veneer of being a university. Mm. The issue for me is obviously being able to practice. Uh, being you know to practice being a doctor in order to practice being a vet for example you need licensing to do that yeah uh, and it, see it's very hard for me to imagine in a place in the like the uk where you have a national health service mm. where the government would be open to licensing such private endeavors in teaching people how to be a doctor in teaching people how to uh, be a vet 
yeah. that's so that is something I see that I that, that's that uh, yeah being vet, you know being a, a doctor or a vet or uh, in certain uh, you know sort of angles of engineering yeah, yeah that yeah. that's something I find hard to imagine being disrupted by the internet in the way that pretty much everything else is so history degrees for example uh, or um, you know English literature things like that you know it's it's not hard to imagine how that can just be completely disrupted by the private sector who wants to do everything online. But when it can't, and of course for you know software, that bit, things like that. Uh, but it's things like uh, being a doctor, I don't see how that could be disrupted. But I think that's more the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, quite possible. I mean, you, you, make, a, you make a valid point, you know, the, the regulatory bodies that require, but again, most of, see, I think, I tend to disagree a little on that, is that I think that the bodies that, administer these licenses they're not the 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 point of them is that when you sort of boil it all back is that the person who is seeking to be licensed has obtained a minimum you know or not a minimum but has obtained a certain bar of knowledge and experience in order to to gain that license and i get the feeling that those regulatory bodies won't actually care how that process is achieved. And so then it becomes a case of the testing or the, the, the requirements to achieve that license. Maybe the bar is lifted on those and how the actual knowledge is acquired uh, is somewhat irrelevant in that instance. Well, I like to I, think I, those bodies are probably progressive enough to, to accept that kind of thing. <laughs> well <laughs> yeah uh i don't know progressive you think am i I'm too optimistic sure, <laughs> i'm not sure progressive might be the word for it uh, <laughs> but i think i think this becomes an exercise in political economy where the uh, the administration of these universities is able to exert a significant amount of influence upon the government yeah uh, there is an awful lot of uh there, you know, there's a there's a very incestuous relationship ultimately in this country between top universities, especially, uh, and the government. And when you go to Scotland, when you've got uh, the government, Scottish government pays for tuition. You know, uh, university tuition is free in in Scotland. It's even tighter than that. Uh, and so I, I find it hard to believe that that would be what would happen, rather than you know the contrary, where they're trying to fight against the private sector and trying to protect these universities. You know, as a as a as a matter of, um, you know, sort of political expediency, let's say. Uh, and again, remember, when one of the one of the biggest things that uh, Great Britain or the UK has to offer are uh, educational institutions like Oxford and Cambridge, do you not think the government will do all that they can to protect the prestige mm. uh, of those institutions rather than allow them to get hacked to bits by uh, you know the digital digital economy? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, all politicians need, you know, a fallback job of uh, lecturing as a political sciences uh, professor. Honorary professor, like Gordon Brown at, at Edinburgh University. Is that where he actually works now? Oh, no, he doesn't work there, but he got, he, he, was, he was made, a, I think he was, he was given some kind of honorary degree. Yeah. Uh, that, as many of them do. Wouldn't surprise but, me. <laughs> but Sam, uh, we haven't even rated these beers. No, we've skipped the beers altogether. <laughs> so let's start with number one, all right? Totem yeah. Yeah. by Neon Raptor. Right. Well, wow. I really like this a lot. 
I really like this a lot, a lot. This is, this, I like this so much that this was, I don't know if um, people listening are familiar with the movie Dumb and Dumber, but I would hope that you would be. But I like, I like this a lot. And um, I, so I, I have this thing where I tend, I don't know why it is, maybe it's just a, a thing that I've developed over time, but I like that uh, sharp kind of bitter fruity taste that comes through a beer. And the Totem Beliefs has that, and it's that grapefruit style, I think, strata hops that they, they talk about. Um, it had a great smell. It didn't taste 8% at all. I, I could session beer the shit out of Totem Beliefs, to be honest with you. And I'd be absolutely half cut after a couple and well on my way to being sideways after like four or five. Uh, I liked that immensely, actually. And that, for me, is going right up there as a double B plus rating. Good lord! Good I mean, lord! You're going. You're really going for it with these positive beer ratings. Yeah, uh, I, I, say- I actually really enjoyed that more than I more than I expected. Yeah, I think uh, I remember. I remember just when you opened it and you were uh, very, very uh, enthused by the smell that it uh, that emitted. That you thought this was going to be a really good one. Yeah, yeah, Totem Beliefs, um, it, it does not taste 8%, that's for sure. I think for me, uh, it wasn't quite as good as you described, uh, but it was good nonetheless. Uh, very, I think the taste was, uh, it, it was also ultra hazy. Uh, the taste was uh, you know, very strong and it was pretty good. I think it was slightly too heavy for me. Um, I would so that that kind of uh, weighs it down. I'm a bit. surprised at that because usually the the usually it's the other way around. Is that they're a little heavy for me and you quite enjoy them. But uh, there you go. No, no, but well, I didn't. I didn't not enjoy it either. So I think for me, I would give this. I think I would give this just a B, uh, which is a very good rating. Uh, but that one, it was uh, no, it, w- it was very good, but but quite heavy as well. Now, interestingly, we haven't even introduced the no. second beer that we have been it's drinking. Here. Uh, yeah, we've not done a very good job with uh, just saying what we were actually drinking. Uh, but what we have been drinking uh, up until now is Skip to the End, which is another double IPA. So we've had two double IPAs today. This yeah. one was 8.5%. So we've got uh, another half percent in there. And this is brewed by Pomona Island. And we have had mm. this on the podcast before. Now, Sam, what do you make of this? Because I've not finished mine. Uh, maybe you finished yours. Yeah, so this one is a little bit stronger. And so this one tastes stronger for a start. Uh, again, really, um, you know, very hazy. You know, you're not going to see anything on the other side of your pint glass with this. Um, I, I, Again, I, I quite enjoyed this. Maybe I've just had one of those weeks where I just I could literally drink it. You could put a can of petrol in front of me, and I'd say that's a double B plus. Um, but uh, so I enjoyed it a lot. It's again th- these two and this one as well. While you know these are strong beers, eight point five percent certainly didn't have that eight point five percent taste to it. it. Didn't seem heavy. It hasn't sat heavily inside uh, my gut. Um, very nice to drink. I don't didn't find the aroma or the taste as enjoyable as totem beliefs but nonetheless a very i think that's a pretty standard double ipa for me um and i could easily drink a few um probably wouldn't do a session on them because um, <laughs> i would be absolutely blotto uh but I, I i enjoyed that enough i think i'd give that a, a b plus actually 
Ah, so that's interesting because uh, this one, I think, I didn't think it did taste. I thought it. I thought it tasted its. Uh, it, it was even more deceptive than the the Totem Beliefs. I actually thought it tasted even weaker than uh, than Totem Beliefs, even though it's eight point five. So in theory, it's more. Um, but no, it, it tasted good to me. It was quite uh, quite smooth going down, and uh, yeah, I uh, I really like this. I think I liked it more than Totem Beliefs. Uh, they're both very good beers, however. Um, skip to the end. I don't understand why it's got a satellite on the front. Is this some kind of pun? Uh, I'm not really sure. Um, but I'd give this a B plus. I think that'd be my rating. Hey, there you go. We agree on one. For, it's been a while since we've agreed on one. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I, there, there the, sat- the satellite thing too. I'm not not quite sure. So again, the label's just got a satellite that looks like it's got some sort of laser beam or some sort of uh, broadcast technology in the front i'm sure it's an iconic satellite that we just have missed um and usually we'd go on and talk about space but we've 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 definitely covered um a whole bunch of stuff not even related to the actual <laughs> beers we've drunk today yeah definitely definitely we've uh, we've gone off uh, off uh, off the beaten path i think uh, I like how this one's called Skip to the End. And then in the description for the beer, in the halfway, well, at the very end, it, it does say, anyway, skip to the end. Like, it doesn't even, doesn't even finish what it's trying to say. But no, this was, uh, oh, this was good beer. Yeah, but anyway, I think, we've, uh, I think we've finished our, our time for the 17th episode of uh, Triple B, the Triple B podcast, Sam. Do you have we'll, any cl- we'll legally be able to drink alcohol next uh, <laughs> Yeah, this is all uh, this is all uh, behind the bar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe next week and on our eighteenth birthday, we should have <laughs> a beer and a whiskey, perhaps. Oh, oh, ah. this is, it sounds dangerous, but yeah, no, it sounds like a good idea. <laughs> no, uh, no, Sam, any any closing remarks before we tie this one up? Uh, not 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 too much on the markets today. I think what what uh, what has been quite obvious is that. Uh, when it comes to drinking beer, you you will never, uh, everyone will never find somebody that has the same opinion or view on beer. And it's very much uh, to the individual yeah. and the individual's taste. And but what what is great to one might not be to another, and and vice versa. But um, do you know what? It's it's great to see so many small businesses, uh, whether it be uh, you know. Neon Raptor Brewing or Pomona Island, um, all these different types of breweries and stuff, um, putting out you know quality, quality booze in a time when probably we all need it most. <laughs> so it's it's great to see, and, and I encourage everyone listening to to get on support these you know small businesses and buy their beer and you know follow follow what they do and and, and get involved with it because um, you know they're they're an important and crucial part of uh, the British economy. Yeah, indeed. And interestingly, behind the scenes, I have been working with a certain brewery in the UK to actually get some some beer commissioned, get some on the go, and ensure that you know at least again some business. And uh, it's got some uh, a lot of potential going on there. Though I think that's that's a subject for another podcast. But that is all for our seventeenth episode of the Triple B podcast. Hope if you're listening to this that you have at least consumed some alcohol while you've been listening. <laughs> uh, but that's all from us for this week. Hope you have a good weekend and we shall be back again next week. We'll see you then.